Good morning. I uh, decided to bring a handy dandy tool with me today. Does anybody know what this is? A weed eater. Yes. You know, it's, it's been called a weed eater my whole life. Uh, and, and you guys know how it works. This is an electric one. So you take this $100 weed eater and you attach this $5,000 battery uh, to it. Don't do this without goggles. And you just press the button. You hear that? Anybody else use one of these before? It's great. It's got this uh, little string to it, and it goes so fast, it cuts anything or anybody uh, that it touches. Um, it's a very nifty tool. But you know what stunned me? It doesn't eat weeds. Have you ever thought about that? I, I, I used this one time. There was these weeds in my yard and against the edges of my yard and took this bad boy out there. I got this brand new Ego thing and I bought it when it was cheap years ago. So that was a good thing. I'll never replace it. And uh, went out there and, you know, just, just cut all the weeds down to size and it, it looked beautiful. I just looked like I had a yard of just grass uh, until 24 hours later. Uh, almost immediately, uh, the weeds came back. And uh, so, you know, there's different tools people use to uh, get rid of weeds. Um, you know, weed eating doesn't get rid of weeds at all. It just trims them. Uh, they have this tool. Has anybody ever used one of these? I bet it's got a name. Bet it does. I don't know what that is. But we have one of these, a dandelion popper, someone says. And uh, you use this little thing in the ground to pull up from the root the, the weed so you can pull it out. And, uh, but it just happens that weeds in Kansas go six to nine feet in the ground. And I don't know if you could tell from where you're sitting. I don't know if this is like a Goliath comparison here, but this is not six or nine feet tall. And so this does not seem to work um, we also, at our house, we have uh, Captain Jack's Lawn Weed Brew. Uh, this is what it says on the label, kills weeds, not lawns. Isn't that sweet? And um, that's so sweet, the way they make that stuff up. I've, this, is, uh, this is still almost full. And, and, you know, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. So I don't have anything more to say to that uh, that we'll never use. Um, so uh, weeds are really terrible for a yard, aren't they? They just, they, they grow so well. doesn't matter what kind of dirt, soil, it, they, they, just, they just really infest and compete and, and they're horrible. And the idea of weeds growing uh, is in the parable that we're studying today. So if you're, if you're new with us, you haven't been here in previous weeks, we are doing a study through the parables of Jesus you know, Jesus taught parables, these, illustra these illustrations, these stories that he cast alongside spiritual truths so that people would understand them. And he used everyday common illustrations that people understood so that they can transfer that understanding over to the spiritual realities of God's kingdom. And so we're looking at the parable of the soil or the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed. Uh, in this parable, uh, there, there are three important key analogies within it. You have the seed, which is the word of God. 
You have the sower, I'm sorry, you have the soil, which is the heart of man, and you have the sower, which is the voice of truth. The sower is the one sowing God's word out there so that people's hearts, like soil, receive that word and they can hear it and believe it and receive it and apply it and, and there could be, their lives will be fruitful. It'll be rich. It'll be good with God's design and his blessing. And so uh, there were four kinds of soils uh, in the parable. And uh, weeks back, we looked at the first soil. It's the hard soil, soil number one. And we looked at it in Mark chapter four. Uh, uh, it's the calloused heart um, in the, in, on the screen when it comes up. It's the calloused heart. We looked at the, the first soil, and uh, today we're going to focus on the third soil, which represents the cluttered heart, uh, the heart that's crowded out, distracted. It's infested with thorns or, which I'll, I'll show you, with weeds. And Jesus explains that the cluttered heart has thorns or weeds that keep God's word from bearing fruit. It keeps God's word from influencing your life, of being applied to your life uh, in a way that blesses you according to God's design. So in other words, our problem is that we've got weeds growing in our hearts and they choke the useful life-giving fruit that God intends for our lives. And the parable is amazing because Jesus explains the parable and tells us what the weeds are. He actually describes them so that you know what are these weeds that are infesting our, our hearts? What, what are these things that are crowding out God's word from enriching our lives? So we don't have to guess. Uh, so do you guys want to study? You want to know what they are? Well, that's a great, I'm glad you asked. I will tell you, I will tell you. This, so the first week we thought about the first soil, and I'll go ahead and read it. It's already on the screen. We have the calloused heart, the hard soil. And he, he talks about this in verses 3 and 4, and then 14 and 15 he explains. Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And then he explains. In verse 14, the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And so you have the hard hearts. They don't, they don't understand God's word. They don't receive it. They're not understanding it. They're ignorant to it. Maybe they reject it. They don't want to consider it. That's the hard heart. That's the calloused heart. Next, we considered the rocky soil. And the rocky soil represents the shallow heart. So in verses 5 through 6, he explains the rocky soil. He says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came out up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And you can see in that picture, there's a substratum of rock. So if you go to Israel where Jesus taught, if you go to the place where his audience, the farmers there, the people there, they understood this, there's a substratum of limestone underneath 
many parts of Israel. And so they would see a picture like this and understand there's a thin layer of soil, and so the plants will take up root quickly, but then they'll die. And, and we saw a couple weeks ago that it, they, they receive it with joy. Pleasure's king. It's all about the moment, but they receive pretty much everything, so they fall away quickly. And we talked about the shallow heart. And he explained it in verses 16 through 17. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. And that's the second soil, the rocky soil, the shallow heart. The third soil is what we're going to focus on today. And that's the third kind of soil, that's the thorny ground. And I, I brought a jar uh, uh, with thorns, weeds in it, and I don't know uh, anybody up front, if you don't mind, what, what's in that jar? Can you guys see that? Money. money. Oh, money. Money's here, just crowding out. The plant can't grow. There's a toy truck in here, a Ford Raptor. I think my staff wanted that to be in there um, for reasons no one knows. Anyway, it's not important. Uh, this is about you guys, not me. No, I'm just uh, so this is the cluttered heart. This is the soil that's got thorns and weeds growing in it. And so he explains it in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Now, that word thorns is the Greek word akantha, or akantha. And I, I share that word with you because it's kind of an ugly-sounding, strong word. And it, it's a word that refers to thorn plants in general, but especially of the common weed, Ananus spinosa. Anybody ever hear of Ananus spinosa? I studied this. So in, in the language that the New Testament was written, it's called Koine Greek, there is other Greek literature out there. And when they use this word, it's, only, it's used 14 times in the New Testament, it's used many more times outside of the New Testament. It almost always refers to this kind of thorny weed, Anana spinosa. And now there's different species of this kind. Uh, you can see the picture up there. The Anana spinosa is a type of perennial. That means it comes back more than one year, at least two years. It's a type of perennial wildflower in the pea family. And it's native to Europe, Asia, and North Africa, think Egypt. This is very common around Israel, and it's still there today. It's commonly known as spiny rest harrow, spiny rest harrow, and it's a shrubby plant with thorny stems and pink or purple flowers that bloom in the summer. Anana spinosa is considered a weed because it's often found on cultivated land, and it is invasive and competes with other plants for resources, like grain. And so you get the idea. This comes in and it just infests an area of they're trying to cultivate. They want crops. They want grain. They want food. And this weed comes in. But I want you to notice something very important. Look at that left picture. Now the right picture shows some of the thorns. It's like a shrubby bush. Look at that left picture. These thorns, these weeds are beautiful but they're not useful. They are really pretty. I've looked at 100 pictures of these now. They are beautiful, 
but they're not useful. And isn't that the epitome of temptations in our lives? They're attractive, they're beautiful, but they're vain. They're empty. They leave us wanting. They do not produce fruit. And Jesus says, the thorns came up and choked it. That word choked, only used uh, five times in Luke, uh, or I'm sorry, five times in the New Testament. But I wanted to share one place it's especially used, which is interesting, and it's Luke chapter 8, verse 42. I don't have the verse on the screen, so if you're taking notes, Luke 8, 42, it says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And they translate this word for choked as pressed. It's the idea of, like, imagine going to the subway at New York, and it's a crowd of people, or Tokyo, or, or Hutchinson during the festival. You know, when there's just so many people crowding, pressing in around you, you can't move, you can't thrive, you can't grow. That's the picture of this word choked. And so he's saying, the, you guys know what these thorns and weeds are like. They come in, they infest your yard, things that you want to grow, that you need to live and survive off of, and they choke it out. They overrun it. That is the problem with the thorny ground. It chokes out the life. In other words, the thorns slash weeds are getting all the energy, all the time, all the attention. Now let me ask you, what is it in your heart that's getting all the energy, all the time, all the attention? It may be that for everyone in here, we've all got some weeds in our garden, in our yard. And there are things that are choking out the Word of God, things that we're resistant to because of these things. Now, what's wonderful is Jesus explains these things. Well, what are the weeds? What if Jesus gave this parable and said, there's going to be weeds and they're going to choke it out and everyone's like, well, I don't know what those weeds are, but he actually tells us. He describes the weeds. Uh, and he explains them later in verses 18 through 19, which we'll look at. And the first is worries. Worries are like a weed. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18, 18 through 19, Jesus goes on to say, Others are like, we are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of the age the deceitfulness of wealth and desire of other things, enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, you guys are no stranger to worries. What are some common worries? What are the worries of this age? If we were to think about the worries of this age in our day, what would they be? Well, here's some common ones. Worry number one, one of the most common worries in our culture, in our communities, financial concerns. Financial worries such as debt, job security, retirement savings, high health care costs. People worry about financial stability, financial security. Uh, banks are going bankrupt, right? When you were a kid, I bet you thought that would be impossible. That's like saying water's not wet. Banks are going bankrupt. Why is that happening? For a lot of people in this room, you're worried about your future. You're worried about financial security. A second worry is health. You know, who isn't concerned about their health? Uh, I, uh, 
So when I, when I was bringing this weed eater to the office, I knew I was going to have it on stage. So when I was at home, I used a broom and I dusted it off. And I, there's like this green film, thick green, like almost like a, like a layer, like a fabric uh, on the weed eater. And I had to like, with my nails, take all that stuff off. And as I was taking it off, I thought, you know, this reminds me of something. Uh, nearly every morning, I make a shake with kale and other fruits, and you could just call it a grass shake. Uh, it is horrible. And I was looking at that stuff, and I was like, this is, I should just use this. This looks the same, smells the same, probably tastes the same. Uh, I'm concerned about my health, and people are concerned about access to quality health care, the rising costs of health care, not to mention concerns about uh, chronic illnesses like obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. These worries of this age, I guarantee, will take up time and energy, thought, emotion. It'll take up uh, residence in your heart. People are also worried about safety and security. You know, we're worried about our personal safety, um, terrorism, cyber attacks, global security threats, mass shootings. Um, people are concerned. The worries of this age take root in some of our hearts, and they take up a lot of our thoughts. Not to mention politics, and we're not talking about politics this morning, but think about it. I guarantee at least half of the people in this room, and that includes the children, because they don't even, they, I'm sure they're not worried about it, so more than half of the adults are worried about the political climate, polarization, government dysfunction, the impact of political decisions on our lives and the people we love. How many times have you worried about your children or your grandchildren and the way things are going, our community? How can we protect this? How can we save this? How can we continue on with good values that God honors and that would bless our community? There are things like social issues, issues like racism, immigration, discrimination, gender ideology. The, the worries of this age are environmental for some climate change, natural disasters, tornadoes, the rain, uh, environmental issues. And then there's personal relationships. And these are some of the things we worry about the most. We worry about issues like divorce, family conflicts, loneliness, isolation, being rejected. These are the worries of this age that Jesus was referring to. That principle, that truth of things that we as human beings, we could worry about these things, and it's like a weed that infests our heart and take our attention and time and energy away from God and toward earthly, worldly things. So what does God want us to do? What does he tell us in the Bible? How does the Bible instruct us uh, to respond to our worries? Well, number one, and it's one of the highlights, trust God and seek his kingdom first. Trust God and seek his kingdom first. Jesus encouraged his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. There's many sermons in there. Jesus encourages his followers to trust in God and not to worry about their needs. In Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus teaches that God provides for the birds and the flowers and that we should trust that God will provide for our needs as well. Instead of worrying, we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, and his righteousness, and our needs will be provided for. To trust him and seek him. The Bible instructs us to pray. You know, the Apostle Paul advises believers to pray about their worries and anxieties 
in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. A lot of us know this passage by heart. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we pray. We're also encouraged by Him. Share your cares with me. Share them. Tell me. Cast your cares on God. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Peter advises believers to cast all their cares on Him because He cares about you. God cares for you, so place your cares on Him. He has the shoulders to be able to bear the weight of your concerns. He wants to be relational with you. Share your concerns with Him. And then lastly for us, practice gratitude. In my experience, this, this may look different for other people. Gratitude is one of the strongest tools that God has used in my life to battle against worries. When I remember that I'm thankful to Him for what? What am I thankful for Him for? What am I grateful to Him? What has He done? And that just takes me out of that pit of worrying about things of this, this world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I've heard it, I've heard it said, a day of worry is more taxing than a week of work. A day of worry is harder than a week of work, and some of you know that's true. You know what worry has done to your health, your mind, your relationships. Worries will choke God's word from bearing fruit in our lives, and Jesus says, that's worries of this age is one of them. So that's the first kind of weed. The second kind of weed that chokes out the word is wealth. And it's not just money. It's not just wealth in general. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. In verses 18 through 19, he, he explains, Others are like the seed, are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, and here's the, what we're focusing on, the deceitfulness of wealth. Enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You know, I've shared my story so many times, I don't want to keep going through it again, but for some of you who don't know my story, I became a Christian at age 16. I was a teenager, I was not raised in a Christian home, I was not raised in Christian ways per se. I have a great relationship with my mom and dad now, and they're Christians, and I love them, and they love us, and you know, they're grandparents to our kids, but you know, growing up, it was a different time. And so, uh, you know, when I first got saved, I didn't understand a lot of the things of God, but I started going to church at age 16, and it was the first time that I stayed awake in church, which for some of you right now in particular, that's a very good word. I hope you're hearing it. Uh, but I stayed awake in church because I was a Christian, so let's just throw that out there. No judgment. Anyway, uh, so I stayed awake in church, and it was great. It was the first time. It's like I held the Holy Spirit in me finally, and I was loving God's Word. And it was super great. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to Sunday school. For some of you, you always went, so you don't get this. You, you weren't raised in a non-Christian home. But that's a big deal. It's like, you know what? I'm giving extra. I'm going to go to Sunday school. I felt so excited. I was like, I'm trying to follow the Lord. I go to Sunday school, and I still remember to this day my Sunday school teacher's name in that class. I remember her. I remember the day. Her name is Marsha Heim. 
Marsha Heim, and she was teaching Sunday school, and she was trying to tell me, hey, if you're going to follow God, here are the things that are important. And on that particular day, she ended up talking about wealth. She ended up talking about money to teenagers. And I remember as a 16-year-old, of course, I did the normal 16-year-old thing, so I argued with her. I argued with her, and I said, no, I don't think it's like that, and I don't think you're right, and I'm going to do what I want with my money, and blah, blah, blah. So I gave her my whole defensive spiel. And I remember her loving eyes, her confident, low tone. She said, you know, Jack, what I've learned in my life, God can do more with 90% of your money than you can do with 100. And I can't explain why, but that never left my heart. I heard those words and I knew it was true. Now, I know there's different thoughts on tithing and offering, and because I'm a preacher, of course, the stigma is I want your money. My, my income changes nothing. We, we've gone above budget. That does not change my income. I'm not wanting your money. But I'm telling you, from that day forward at age 16, for the first time in my life, I started tithing and giving an offering. And I have not stopped since. And I'm telling you, as a witness, that has been one of the greatest gifts God has ever given me. Money, money makes claims, makes promises that it can't give. But God is the opposite. And uh, God can do more with your 90 than you can do with 100, and that's so true. Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You, you can't serve it in your heart. You can't, you can't say, okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do it my way. I don't want to do it God's way. You can't do it. If, if, if ever you prioritize money over what God's word says, it's just going to leave you empty. The verse warns against the temptation to prioritize wealth over serving God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to read these verses, and I'll, I'm telling you, I am rich. When I read the Bible... Every time it mentions rich people, I am in that category. I am in the top 2% of the whole world. There are a couple billion people on this planet right now that today may not eat tonight. I do not have to work today for my dinner tonight. I don't even have to work today for my dinner tomorrow. I have a hundred times more than what I need. I am rich. I have access to health care. I have freedoms, I have laws, I live in such a culture, in such a community at such a time where I am the rich of the world, the top 2% compared to the world. And you know what? I guarantee that's everyone else in this room. It's hard for us to believe that we are rich, but we are rich. And it, it challenges me, it humbles me, it scares me sometimes to be truthful when I read passages like this. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, many pangs. Money makes promises it can't keep. Now, of course we know, 
I'm not sinning because I'm wealthy. I'm not sinning because of where I was born. It's not a sin to be wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth or pleasures, but when they become our passions and priorities, they snuff out God's word in our lives. And we would all be faithful, good listeners if we would hear that word and let that seed take root in our hearts and evaluate, is wealth a weed in my heart? Worries, wealth, and the third I'll just call wants because it's alliteration. It works, wants. Verse 18, chapter 4, Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and thirdly, the desires for other things. Enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. What did Jesus mean by the desire for other things? Anybody in here desire other things? We all do. So what does he mean, desire for other things? Well, in this passage, in this parable, this is in a set of parables. So in Matthew chapter 13, the whole chapter of Matthew 13 has seven parables. These are called the kingdoms of the parable. The, the, the parables of the kingdom. And this is a parallel to Mark chapter 4. It's also a parallel to Luke chapter 8. We see this parable of the soils in all three of those gospels, the synoptic gospels, and Jesus teaches about what these soils are. Within this context, the idea is, here are the truths about God's kingdom, about who he is and what he wants and how we interact with him and relate to him based on our worries, wealth, and wants. And so this is in context of anything you desire that is contrary to God's kingdom, that is above God's will, that you idolize or, or put before him. And so these desires depict a heart that's torn between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. So you have these two kingdoms, and as Jesus teaches this parable, he's saying people's hearts are torn between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And when you desire other things, meaning things not of God's kingdom and according to his will, those are the things that choke out God's word in your life. You know, the world, the way the New Testament describes it, the world is like one big commercial that says, hey, if you take this, then you'll be happy. If you finally buy this, then you'll be fulfilled. If you take this false identity, then you'll be complete. The world is like one big commercial that says, forget God's word, here's something I can offer you. You know, I've, I've shared many times that my two biggest temptations are entertainment and food. Uh, I, I go to them sometimes instead of the Lord. I, instead of praying, instead of fasting, instead of worshiping instead of reading I, i'm just you know the phone is so addictive scrolling through just the endless scrolling I'll, those things are, are like temptations like weeds that are constantly popping up and i've got to continually weed them out in my own heart but i want to share with you an article written by jim wilder a guy named jim wilder he wrote so many good things here's here's an article from him from the beginning god created food to be enjoyable tasty and life-giving. God designed us to bond with those who feed us and intended mealtime to be a place of joyful connections with him and with others. Everything about eating is intended to be a joyful, relational experience. 
But food was never intended to take the place of life-giving attachments to God and others. And that word attachments is key. Because weeds attach to the good seed and the good plant and choke it out. And so these attachments come into our lives like food. The problem for many of us is that we've experienced food as a more consistent, reliable, and predictable source of pleasure than the amount of joy we experience in relationships. This is my, this is my experience. This experience makes it likely that we will develop attachments to food that are stronger than our joyful connections with God and others. When I was a kid, uh, we were on food stamps uh, as a young teenager. We lived with uh, an aunt and, you know, there's lots of kids and not, not a ton of food. But we had food stamps and that helped. And I remember when we finally moved out of Detroit that we moved into a home in the suburb and I would go down in the basement and I would secretly eat ice cream and other foods because we had food stamps. We didn't have much else. And, uh, but I would eat that to feel safe. There's no one that's going to abuse me down here. There's none of my problems. You know, my parents divorced. I was, in, I was in kind of a cloud of ungodliness. And, uh, and I felt safe. And I grew an attachment to food. Also entertainment. That was another thing. When our attachments to food are stronger than joyful relationships... It is very difficult for us to eat healthy. Food loses its relational nature and becomes a source of pseudo-joy, a fake pleasure, or pseudo-shalom, artificial peace, uh, artificial comforting, a pseudo-parenting, artificial nurturing. Food becomes an unhealthy substance that actually takes the place of life-giving, joyful attachments with God and with others. I, I vulnerably share that with you that this has been my experience because I understand that in my heart I have weeds with roots as deep as Kansas weeds that are growing deep that are trying to choke out the good that God is planting in my life. And for me, entertainment and food is one of them. For you, it's going to be something. It's going to be something else likely. All of us in here have these temptations. And you know what? You know, Brahms just does it so good. I just, I want to be mad, but I feel like I should be thankful. <laughs> you know, like Red Robin, bottomless fries, they should just call it bottomless joy. They, that, I, would, I'd like, I like an order of bottomless joy with my unbelievable shroom burger. That's my favorite. I know not everybody's into mushrooms, but I love it. Anyway, uh, it's hard for me to, to, to tango with that because I know the attachment that it has become in my life. I have to constantly fight against those. Entertainment, video games, things on your phone, social media, uh, reading other people's life stories. Like a, it's like a pseudo sense of gossip, but interest. We just crave it. Those cravings were meant to support life-giving attachments. But when they cross over that very thin line, they start stealing God's uh, word and the life and energy and time away from us. Other desires, desires for other things, according to Jesus' parable, are being allowed to grow in our hearts and it gets crowded. See, the soil has potential, but not if you neglect it. 
You can cultivate and enrich soil. You can help the soil. That's what God wants to do in our lives. But if you neglect it, weeds are going to come. You know, weeds are really sneaky, aren't they? I remember I was talking, I started with the weed eater. I, I remember walking out in my yard and I, I thought, hmm, I didn't plant that little yellow flower there. No, I, that wasn't me. And I walked along, I'm like, I don't know what that big sprout of non-grass is, but I, I didn't put that there. And the birds are too nice to put that there. Who put this here? Yeah, it was the birds. Anyway, it was the wind and the birds and bugs, whatever. Anyway, it's horrible. Uh, weeds are like that. They sneak up on us. And uh, God's desire is that we do not have hearts that are uncultivated and untended. The, per, the heart of a person has a normal, enormous potential, but you can't leave it untended. You must, you must nurture it. So, as you think about being sowers of God's word, when you share God's word with people, they may be going through tough times, and that can be a perfect time for you to pray with them, but the opposite may be true too. Trials may keep a person from trusting in Jesus, but so can a comfortable life. And in our culture, that's one of the strongest weeds is a comfortable, lavish, luxurious, rich life. The parable of the sower teaches us what keeps people from growing in Christ. When you think of all three soils that, that, that keep the seed from growing, they either don't understand it, they don't think it's worth the pain, or they think this world has something better to offer. So what are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is nourishment to our souls. It's light to our path. It's better than bread. Your word is so helpful to us to know your kingdom, to live as if we're already in your kingdom according to its laws and goodness, to live with you, to have a good, joyful attachment to you and not to other things. I just repent. I confess in, in front of my brothers and sisters, worries, wealth, and wants, every year, every season, are constantly uh, competing for, for room in my own heart. Please have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Help us to see the weeds for what they are. They're beautiful, but they're not useful. I pray that you would make us into a people. Help us grow as a church family, that we would share your word, that we would be sowers of the word like Paul talked about to the Corinthians, that we would be your ambassadors, that we would be ministers of reconciliation, that we would take the ministry of the word and we would share your word with boldness, that you would open the door for your word, that we would, we would proclaim it, that we would give a defense for the hope that's within us as people ask us, that, we would, that you would gift us with the right words to share with the people around us. We have neighbors that we love so dearly. Would you, would you cultivate their heart? Would you make their heart like good soil? that they would see the worries and wealth and wants for what they are and that they would turn to you? Would you give us supernatural listening, ears to hear, eyes to see? We want to be a healthy church family. I know we are. We're, we are so incredibly blessed here with leaders and 
godly families in our church, mothers that are represented here. There's so, many, there's so much good that you've done here, and I, I pray that you would do more in the way of drawing us to you. You know my heart for this church. I want to see our families grow. I want to pray for marriages. Marriages need it so desperately here. There are husbands and wives that are dealing with so much hard soil and thorny ground and rocky soil. And Father, would you please help us to, uh, to walk with you, to love you, to love one another? Would you start a revival right here at Grace Community Church? We as believers need revival. We need your help. And we know you're a good father. I thank you for our mothers that are here. A special day, I pray for the lunch, the lunches that are going to happen, and the time that's already been spent, the messages, the cards. Would you help our moms to know how much they mean to us? They are part of what makes uh, life rich. And uh, send us out. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.